0: The time? This is the My New Norm podcast, oh. and I'm your host, Barry Scott Young. <laughs> In this episode, you'll hear from Dr. Kimberly Mendoza. She's a dean, professor, author, and Former chaplain's assistant for the U.S. Army from San Diego, now living in Northwest Texas. In all of Kim's accomplishments and achievements, it's all about starting with small steps. Here's that interview. So excited about you coming on and just talking about your life and some of the things that you have um, done as far as teaching and your education and your focus. So let's get right into it. Kimberly, where did you grow up? I don't know any of this.
1: (laughs) I grew up in Southern California. I was Born in Orange Orange County, but then okay. uh, eventually, I think about age three, my parents moved to San Diego, and so nice. I've basically lived my whole life in San Diego. Um, okay,
0: so you're a Southern California girl. I am. (laughs) Now, apparently you're not there now. Where are you now? I am in the middle of nowhere, Plainview, Texas. (laughs) (laughs) What's that like?
1: You know what? I actually really like it. There's no traffic, which I can say is a big blessing, five minutes to work. No, you know, I think the only traffic I have are ducks.
0: So. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Now, you and your husband have been married for how long? Uh, 28 years. Well, let's go back a little. As far as you're growing up, what kind of kid were you? What were you into? What things just made your day when you were growing up?
1: Well, I was <laughs> I was one of those little kids that people had to keep telling to be quiet. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was very outgoing and very type A, even as a child. Um, I started oh writing when I was seven. Um, just, what? Yeah, I wrote my first book. Story when I was seven, wrote my first book by the time I was 13. So I was just really imaginative as a very young age, loved to make believe. And my mom said it would not be unusual to walk in and see me, you know, having a whole room of things of people doing things, you know, (laughs) because I was just had this overactive imagination very, very young.
0: Did you have brothers and sisters?
1: So I'm kind of a weird one, and only people that have done this will understand, but I'm an only child with six brothers and sisters. Oh, so.
0: <laughs> explain that one.
1: So my parents only had me and uh-huh. then both of my parents got remarried and okay. it's the, you know, yours, mine and ours kind of situation. So I have two right. half and then uh, the rest are step and then I'm technically an only child. So. Oh
0: boy. Wow. Yeah. Well, what what kind of things did you do either to play or to, that you had your interest in besides writing?
1: Um, I liked theater as a little kid. I would, you know, do mm. get into plays and stuff like that at a really young age. Um, and I, it was just all about make-believe that's, I've always been a storyteller wow. and wanting to come up with stories in my head. We'd be going on these long trips across the United <laughs> States and I'd be, I'd spend the whole time just thinking of stories. And so, so
0: really you're full of imagination then and creativity
1: if it wasn't for creativity, I would do nothing. <laughs> I have nothing going on on the other side of my brain at all. So.
0: <laughs> oh my. When did you know that you wanted to do something? It, it seems like everything you've done when I look at the list is about helping people, uh, investing in people, serving people. When did you know that you like people?
1: <laughs> um, well, <laughs> I guess I'm just that, like I said, I was been outgoing since I was a little kid. So it's just always been in my DNA to just, you know, reach out to to others. And my husband and I have talked about it because the whole way that him and I got together was him saying, oh, you're a writer. Well, let me come help us write a play, you know? And so he Mm -hmm. and him and my whole relationship is built around how, what gifting do you have? How Mm -hmm. can we promote that? What can we do with that? And so, I don't know, I I just always like seeing people become the best versions of themselves and everybody has some sort of gifting that they're, they can do. And a lot of times they don't do it because there's nobody taking the time to believe in that thing. And it took people being like that for me to be where I am today because my past isn't all that great, but those people along the way that have encouraged me have brought me to where I'm at. And so I like to be that for other people if I can.
0: Well, how did you meet your husband?
1: Uh, he was, uh, it's kind of a weird story. My parents were going to a church in La Mesa, California, and they invited me to go. We sat in the balcony and my husband was, he was helping out with ushering that night in the balcony, which is really funny because I've never known him to usher the rest of the time I've (laughs) known him, but he happened to be up there. He saw me. And so right afterwards, he made a beeline over to me and he said, can I show you the building? And oh, best my. pickup line ever, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> right <it laughs> and so worked.
1: he showed me around the church, and then uh, he found out I was a writer, and he said, "Hey, come help us write a play." And by the time we produced that play, we were engaged. So,
0: <laughs> oh my, that's awesome! It sounds like you guys really uh, complement each other.
1: We do. And it's, it's interesting because my gifting is more like the writing and the directing and the acting and that sort of thing. And his gifting is more the technical and the music. Mm. So you take all those and you put them together and you have these really great productions. Great
0: team. Well, I'm anxious to hear a little bit about what happened after my wife and I moved. The stuff I don't know. You were at uh, the same church that I was. And, uh, what happened after that? It'd be 1990-ish.
1: Well, um, I went to work for a while at San Diego Christian College and okay. I worked there for a while. I got my bachelor's degree while I was there because I had like an adult program. So I was finally able to finish up. And mm-hmm. then, um, then I actually came back to work at the same church that we had been at and uh, worked as the um, drama director and youth uh, person for about seven years there wow. and then went back to a San Diego Christian and became, um, uh, there are an admissions counselor there and, um, and started teaching adjuncting and all that and eventually became like an instructor, uh, a director of a program for the adults. And so, wow. ended up
0: just making a career out of academia. So, would you say you planned to do that or you found yourself doing that?
1: In 2010, um, there was a lot of layoffs going off around the country. I don't know if you remember that. And oh, yeah. And I was basically, it was hinted to me pretty strongly that I would probably be laid off at my… Um, job at uh, the church. And so I had a master's degree. I'd never planned to use it, but I needed a job. So I started teaching adjuncting for different institutions. And I had a student um, come up to me and say to me, you know, you really changed my life in an English Mm. class. And up until then, I'd always planned to be a youth pastor. But when I heard that, it was like something clicked in me and I was like, I'm supposed to be a professor. This is my calling. And so because of Being laid off in 2010, it ended up changing the whole course of my life, and I started getting my PhD right after that.
0: Oh, my. Now... It's interesting to me that you were involved in or you served in our U.S. Army. Tell us a little bit about that. Then we'll go back to the education part.
1: Yeah. So I was actually on my knees praying for God to give me a way to go to college and the phone rang and it was a recruiter for the U.S. Army right. <laughs> to be able to do one man's push up. To go into the US Army. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I couldn't even do one. And so they sent me to this thing called Fitco for like two weeks, where you're basically mm-hmm. doing PE for eight hours a day for two weeks. It's awful. It's, right. it's <laughs> so, but when I got out, I was two weeks late getting to my training. And so they put me in a different class. Well, the class that I would have been in all went to Panama for that war. And Uh, so I ended up going to a different class. When I got out, I was two weeks late again. And because I was two weeks late, they put another man in my spot. And that man was the first person to ship out to Desert Storm. So a push-up actually saved me from two wars uh, during my time in. So it's, it always reminds me that sometimes something bad actually might be used for good for God and you just have to trust it. You know, it's pretty powerful.
0: It's a great story. Now you were involved in the, uh, you were a chaplain, right?
1: Chaplain assistant. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, where were you stationed and and that kind of stuff?
1: You know, you join the army to see the world and they sent me eight hours into the desert. Uh, <laughs> I, w- I was in Arizona, Fort Huachuca, Arizona, um, uh, for all all but my training. I, that's where I was at. So, um, serving the chapels there, the main post chapels, do a lot of their graphic design and okay. such. Mm-hmm.
0: That kind of squeaks out of you a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Everywhere, everywhere you go. Well, thank you for your service. I'm thank just so impressed with People that um, have served our country, and and so I want to say thanks. I appreciate that more than ever. Let's go back to your education. So, what else happened after your master's?
1: I did. Uh, well, I did my first master's in humanities and literature and playwriting, and then our first the bachelor's in that about six years later, I got the PhD in leadership and higher education. And then wow. right after my PhD, cause I am psycho, I went and got an MFA <laughs> in writing. Um,
0: oh my,
1: and, I did it because my husband just felt I was supposed to. And the honest truth is if I had not done that degree, I would not have the job I have today. So it oh, was definitely my. another God thing, just directing yeah. my course, you know, and putting me in there and for getting a wow. bachelor's in my thirties to imagine that I have four degrees now is pretty insane. Cause if you had talked to me yeah. in my thirties, I was like. I'll just be happy to get a bachelor's, you
0: know? Oh my. Well, tell me about your current position, what that entails and what do you love about it?
1: So, um, I have the position of Dean at Wayland Baptist university. Um, and I also am an associate uh, professor of English. So I teach English and humanities courses and it's kind of interesting because all those degrees I just mentioned, none of those made sense by themselves, but they all make sense the job I currently have. And so it's like God kind of orchestrated me to be in that role. And let me just tell you something. It's just a kind of another funny little story is that I had been praying for two years to get a full-time professor job. And it just, every door was slamming. I I was in tears at one point because I was like, I know God's calling me to this, but he's just not opening the doors. My younger son says, Mom, I think you need to pray specifically. So I just Mm. really started praying. I want to be in Texas. I want to be an English professor. I want a certain amount of money that I needed to make. If possible, I want to be a Christian institution. and So I just really started praying that way. And within weeks, I had all these offers. I actually turned down Wayland Baptist University, which is where I'm at now. And I went to all these other interviews and they all, it was me and one other person and they picked the other person. And I was (laughs) like, I guess I was supposed to have gone to Wayland. And the next day, the lady that is my boss now called and said, are you sure you don't want to come to Wayland? And it was so cool. And so I knew instantly that's where I was supposed to be. And Mm. I'm so glad I did because I've never been in an environment so cool as where I'm at now. So many friends, just a really great place um, mm. and I, the, just so student centric. And I just I really like being there and I like working with the students. And wow, I've been able to, to create some new degrees that they, you know, there's one degree that we have that no one else in the United States has. And I got to create that. So it's been really, well, really me, cool.
0: Tell me a little about that.
1: Uh, So I created a a humanities degree with an emphasis in tabletop game design. And yeah, it's a pretty cool, (laughs) pretty cool degree. (laughs) Um, We just had a huge, we're probably the first person in the country to do this too, is uh, we had an event called Waycon, which is like Comic-Con, but at Wayland. And so a Christian institution put on a con, which was really cool. (laughs) And the whole idea was to get people that are interested in tabletop to come and kind of learn Mm -hmm. about us. And so tabletop game design, you know, I mean, there's so it, we have such a cool nerd community at Wayland that um they have esports teams they have you know these um gamers guild where they get to play games all day and so i was like wow. we really need something for these kind of people it's yeah it's really cool by the oh, time they leave the program they've actually created a a tabletop game that they can market so that
0: is incredible wow we, you know just already i'm finding out um that though you had a desire to become a youth pastor, you really did. You're doing it now. You know? It's
1: just, you know, it has a different um, coding. You know, yeah. I, think, I think something, yeah. God puts things in you that you know you're supposed to do. It's just your calling doesn't always look like you thought it was going to look. And that's right, okay, right. you know?
0: <laughs> right. And really the the interesting thing is what you may have a desire to do, you wouldn't recognize it. At that point, it may not even exist at mm-hmm. that point, but as there's the leading and the guiding and you growing, you one day find that it all comes together. It you know? all
1: makes sense. And I had yeah. just finished the MFA in writing right before I got this job, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to get it before that. And actually, if I can share this real quick, sure. is the woman that had my job was barren and she was praying really hard that God would give her a baby. Well, she got pregnant, she stepped down and then that job was available for me. So in order for oh my, my prayer God. to be answered, her prayer had oh to be prayer. answered. Oh and, my. and so it's just a reminder that, you know, sometimes we're praying for something where we think God's not answering us, but the reality mm-hmm. is maybe everything hasn't lined up yet. And, right, right. you know, it's just, it just reminds you just to trust him he, that, I mean, if you were to look at my life journey, it comes down to that, is learning to trust wow. God with my life.
0: Wow. Oh, that is so amazing. Well, I know that you have, uh, you mentioned you were a writer at a very, very young age. Um, what are some of the the subjects or topics of books that you have written?
1: When I first got started, I was writing a lot of uh, sappy romances. <laughs> um <laughs> And I, I, you know, they're really easy to write. You can, I can, you know, do one of those in a month. I can just totally write a whole book in a month. (laughs) But I started realizing that's not really what I read. And I want to write what Mm. I read. And so I started doing, and you can tell where I was in my education by the topic in the book. (laughs) So oh, like when I was wow. in a psychology major, I wrote a, a psychological thriller uh, and then, <laughs> you know, then I started going through my master's in humanities. And so you see a lot of art and stuff in right, there. Right. So it's really, like it, it kind of changes and interesting, but what I'm mostly doing now, um, I have two things I'm doing. I'm doing, but almost all of it is about young adults. So I'm doing young oh, adult fiction, um, That's what I'm trying Hmm. to get published right now. I have a lot of young adult fiction. I've published some, but I'm trying to publish some more. And then I'm also uh, just had a book come out called Teaching Squirrels, which is all about how to engage Generation Z. And then I have another um, book coming out next year called Toward Faith um, that is a devotional for young adults.
0: Well, our listeners may not know Gen Z. So that's what, ages 9 to 24-ish or something?
1: Um yeah, well let's see the it's uh the oldest ones were born in two thousand ten, so eleven is the youngest ones all the way up to um the oldest ones which were born in ninety-five. So okay. uh, We're talking, yeah, they're they're getting older. They're middle school and up now.
0: Yeah. Well, we've heard a lot about millennials, but Gen Z is the new group of kids growing up right now
1: and they're completely different and so people got to stop treating them the same because they're not the same
0: yeah Why why don't you unpack that a little bit what have you found true of this age group that's coming up
1: Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the, the, when you talk about the millennials, we usually call them the me generation, you know, Um, the new generation, I would say in a word is the now generation. They are, I want it now. I want it instantly. Um, They are very Mm. distracted, which is why I call them squirrels um, in my book, because (laughs) uh, I don't know if you know this, but a squirrel uh, only has an attention span of like a second. But if you give them an acorn, it goes up to four minutes. And so I always say, if you compare, you know, the post-millennials to squirrels, if you can give them an acorn, they'll be with you. They'll, they'll engage with you. And so they really are pretty exciting. I mean, we have a lot of them that are starting businesses at age 16, 12. I mean, they really are all in if you can give them something that they care about. And that's the okay. problem. You have all these distractions in this world and you got to find that thing that will pull them in and just, in, and just be there. They're very insecure, uh, very anxious. And mm-hmm. so uh, a lot of times they have the attitude, if you can't see me, I can't see you. So they won't mm-hmm. go do something that you're like, why are they not just doing that? And a lot of times you have to just understand that they're afraid to do it because they don't want to fail. They don't want to be wrong. And so, at least in the classroom, we've really been, I've been trying to teach professors because I've traveled all over the U.S. talking about this. I just say you have to find ways to to guide them and help them. There's been a lot of helicopter parenting that's happened. And so, they are used to somebody standing there and holding their hand. And so, if we can empower them, if we can help them realize they can do this and make them excited about whatever it is they're doing they'll go a million miles for you. And that's why we right. have people having businesses at a very young age, but they're not post mill, they're not millennials. And I wish people would stop calling them that because so like, they're, they're not the same. Yeah.
0: So there really is a difference then mm-hmm. uh, between millennials and Gen Z. It seems like they need scaffolding. Mm-hmm. People will come alongside them to strengthen, um, empower them until they've got it. You know, yep. you, yes. so you really you're, you're getting them ready to launch them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And
1: I think they'll be extremely powerful. Um, I mean, if you think about it, so... I don't know how much you know about the different generations, but the X-Gen is the one that is raising the Zs. And X-Gen, because they, a lot of them were the latchkey generation by themselves, right. they tend to be um, pretty independent people. And so okay. they, a lot of times the X-Gen people have really pushed to do things. Um, I always make jokes that the millennials were raised by the hippies, so what we think was going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, the Zs really are exciting, but you are right. They do need some structure sure they do need people coming alongside them. And that's really what my ministry and that whole situation is, is helping educators, pastors, employers to know how to get the best out of their post-millennials, because if they can do that, they'll be pretty excited. And I think that they'll be um, encouraged by this next generation.
0: Okay. How much does technology play into this?
1: Well, I mean, it is not, uh, something they do. It is part of their DNA. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, teethed on it. I mean, they've had it since they were, I mean, a global worldview since yeah. the minute they were born. And so when they, that's, that's why there's so much empathy among them. They, they, they see, the world on a global scale. And, and so they're not just looking at what's happening in their backyard, but they're looking at what's happening over across the country. And I just, it's very interesting to see how it it is affecting them. And some is positive, some is negative. I would say the negative is it does make them more anxious. You know, they've done a lot of studies that show if you're on technology too much, that you have trouble sleeping, that you're more likely Mm -hmm. to be anxious. Uh, They have a thing called task skipping, this is kind of cool. So say that again. Task skipping. So okay. they get rewarded in their brain every single time they go from oh, one thing to another. My. And they did a study. Uh, there's a there's a writer called Nicholas Carr who wrote this book called The Shallows, and he he looked at primates, and he showed that brains are actually changed when they have technology applied to them. So mm. keep in mind that these kids were. Their brains were developing while they were on technology. So when we say they're different, they are Mm -hmm. physically different because their brains were rewired while they were developing.
0: my, how fascinating. Wouldn't it be a great book just to have, it would help them to know about Gen Z so that they know how to help them.
1: Yes. And one of the things that people don't realize is my book doesn't just talk about Gen Z, but I actually go into all the generations. So you learn a little bit about yourself too. That way, no matter what generation you're talking about, it can kind of, you know, how do the millennials work with the post-millennials? How do the baby boomers work with them? And so- I really studied generations as a whole because I wanted to understand. I mean, you can't fully understand how to help somebody else if you don't understand yourself a little bit, too, so yeah. that you can see where the conflicts, you know, conflictions are. But, yes, I've had, I mean, people from all different kinds of backgrounds uh, get my book or have asked for something after one of my presentations, yeah. which is why the book got written. Cause I was like, I keep going mm-hmm. to these conferences and people would say, I really wish I had more to take back to my people. <laughs> so, wow. so the book had to be written for that purpose.
0: Uh, what else in the book that uh, you could share that would help our listeners go, wow, I, I really need that book.
1: Um, well, I, it starts out just kind of explaining who they are. And then I talk about who everybody else is. And then mm. I come back into talking about engagement because that's the main yeah. focus is how do we engage this generation? And then I show the ways that you can do that. I have a lot of examples in there on, you know, different ways that they are going to do well and ways that are going to trip them up and how you can, you know, help with those things. Um, so okay. I, I do spend a lot of time not just telling you what the problem is, but also what what to do with the problem. Uh, So hopefully it, it will help people of, you know, all generations be able to work with them because they're going to be in the workplace for a while.
0: Yeah, that's true. And they're going to be leading our country soon,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) which is scary. Well, how does one find this book?
1: Uh, they can either go to my website, which is www.kimmendoza.com, or you can go to Amazon and just type in Teaching Squirrels Mendoza and it will probably (laughs) pop
0: up. (laughs) Okay, great. Easy enough. Well, what I want to talk about right now is you had mentioned so many things here, but I want to backtrack. You were a natural writer, one that had a lot of creativity. Some may have creativity now in their adult world and they want to write where where they research what do they need to do to hone in on that gift
1: that's funny because i have a meme out there with me making this quote and i don't even know where it came from (laughs) but i always say write a page a day and a year you'll have an entire book and so i always tell people you know don't think right and and there's a great quote in the movie finding Forrester where they say okay. uh write the first draft with your heart and write the second one with your head and the problem the reason why people don't ever get anything down on paper is they're thinking too much they're you yeah. know you need to just start writing and if you just start writing eventually you will have a book and so that's my philosophy i don't think too much i just start writing and i let it, the mm. characters take me where they're going to take me and you know if i have to world build i might do a little of that on the side but for the most part, I just keep, keep writing. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the key. I mean, that is the best advice I can give anybody who's interested in it. Just do it. You know, that okay. I have had friends over the years. Well, I wish I could have done that. I wish I could have had. And I'm like, anybody can write a page a day. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it, you can write a page a day if you're not thinking, if you're thinking mm. you're going to stare at the blinking cursor and nothing's going to happen. And that's the <laughs> death of creativity. Right. Yeah.
0: Who have been some of your influencers?
1: influencers or influences like who's influenced me both okay um well as far as who's influenced me um I would probably say, uh, well, the very first one is my sister, Laura. Uh, She would write and I was, I looked up to her when I was seven. So I started writing because of her. Um, Mm. And I don't know how much writing she does now, but she definitely influenced me. Um, And then just different authors over the years have, have really um, encouraged me. I started writing thrillers because I started reading Ted Decker and I was like, Oh my goodness. I love these (laughs) surprise endings and um, just going to different writings conferences and just talking to different authors and stuff has really, inspired me. And as far as who I influence, I I mean, I teach publishing at the college. I teach creative writing at the college. So I think the biggest people I influence are just people that um, come to our school and then we do a writing conference in the summer and so some people come out for that as well. Um, okay. so that's kind of neat.
0: Well, Kim, you are a fascinating person. i I've known you, but as the listeners heard, we have not talked in years and yet, <laughs> Uh, this podcast has brought us together. And I'm so glad because there's so much that we don't know about people, even people we know. I thought today, how many people do I say I know, but I know nothing of them? (laughs) Not much more than what we've been doing. And so this is case in point, I'm learning so much about you because we're talking about it finally. You know, we're getting ready to go into the end of the year. It seems like people are thinking in terms of what do I want to do next year? I hope this podcast encourages people to get moving towards what they want to do next year. Even, you know, what are some of the things that you would help our people with? If it's setting goals, if it's stepping out and doing something with their dream, what? how could you encourage them to start moving towards what they want to do?
1: Well, I would say, um, a baby step is still a step. A lot mm-hmm. of times people, um, they see this big, huge mountain that they have to climb. And I didn't get published overnight. It was years yeah. and years and years of perseverance and moving in that direction, going to writers' conferences, going to critique groups. You know, I did the work. And so it will, your dream will never happen if you don't take that baby step, if you don't take that mm. movement forward, you know, if you're, if it's too much to, you know, you think of a little child and they're trying to walk across the room Some t- when they're little, it takes a parent mm-hmm. to kind of walk along with them. So if you know somebody who is actually in the industry you're interested in, whatever your dream is, you know what, come see if you can get them to come alongside you or ask them for advice or what's the first thing I need to do, you know? Right. Um, and, I I have a lot of young writers that will ask me those kind of questions. You know, what do I need to start doing? And what the stuff I just told you a few minutes ago, that's what I tell them, you know? And then once they've done that, then I have more advice for them the next step. And so the idea is if you want that dream, you have to start moving towards it. I have friends that are my age or older. They've never made those steps towards their dream. And it just to me is a sad life. Like that's just... You know, they could have so much more and it doesn't matter how old you are. I had, right. when I was getting my bachelor's degree in my thirties, I had a woman sitting right next to me who was in her fifties, whether or not, you know, she was 50 or I was 30 or whatever, you're the same age tomorrow as you are today mm-hmm. with or without it. So why mm-hmm. not get it? There, You're never too old. I, I know a man who just started a brand new company who's in his 70s. So, I mean, <laughs> you're never too old to do your dream, but you have to make the effort. And that's hard for some people, but it's worth it in the end and you'll be really proud of yourself.
0: I have found that, especially as Americans, we have become so informationally rich, but application poor. Mhm. We don't move out step out on the stuff that we know. Mm-hmm. It's just information until we apply it. Right? And and you have said that other ways today just step out, prepare, grow, search, research and just begin to move towards it. And that's that's really what your whole life's been. Mhm. Well, I want to ask you some questions. If you could arrange a meeting with you when you were 13, what would you tell yourself uh, then at that age? Don't worry about boys. <laughs> 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 um,
1: <laughs> no, you know, 13 the age that I wrote my first novel. And so, I mean, for me, I, I really honestly, I would probably tell myself, start um, learning more, start understanding more, really start to hone your craft because um, I, w- I was just a novice doing something that was fun. I didn't start really honing my craft until I was well into my late 20s, you know, and so um imagine what i could be as a writer now if i had given myself that extra 20 years you know or whatever so i think that if we can help our children to work on i mean we do that with our own children my Mm. both my boys we have tried to do everything we can to hone their crafts as young people and learn as much as you can now rather than later and since they're the now generation they get it um Right, right but we just didn't and got distracted by other things. For me, as you, you can tell, boys were, was a huge distraction <laughs> that I could well, have done without. But yeah.
0: Oh, well, that's great. You know, you're, you have through your education and um, your interest and really your heart, you've really honed in on that. You, you're able to come alongside people that are growing and say, you know what, I want to encourage you in this. And that's what you're doing. You're encouraging this next generation. And I think all of us uh, should be doing that. Let me ask another question. What is your go to fast food order?
1: Um, oh goodness. Well, if I had as many restaurants as I'd like in my little teeny town, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, Baja Mexican would be one. And, uh, I, I love takeout Asian too, but we don't have either one of those here. Oh, no. So, uh, here in this town, my takeout, well, see, if I, if I go to Lubbock, which is about an hour away, I instantly Panera. I'll I'll go to Panera or Einstein's, any of those places with really good coffee, because it's all about the coffee.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. And what about a book and a movie that uh, you've watched and you read? time and time again
1: oh movie is matrix Uh, not not two and three but just the very first matrix I absolutely loves that movie Um, it's interesting coming out Uh, I know and I cannot wait to see it I'm super excited I'm just hoping it's not as because two and three got a little raunchy and I'm I'm not into all that but but the first one was really good Um, so that's my go-to movie Uh, go-to book wow you know I'm a literature professor so that's a that's a (laughs) rough one Um, and someone just asked me yesterday what's your favorite book and i had to come up with something really fast and i said island of the blue dolphins but that's oh no i don't know that that's my favorite book i think there's probably (laughs) way too many read a lot of ya uh young adult you know fiction right now because i'm writing it so i like to read it love the dystopian stuff so things like um you know uh hunger games and stuff like that like i i love that stuff and so Mm. i know that well, adults are probably like, what? Mm, <laughs> and, you wow. know, but then I love the classic stuff too. So I don't know. I'm way all There's too many. You're kind pig. of all over the place there. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Where do you see yourself going and growing in the next 20 years?
1: Um, well, my husband and I are getting ready to start a business in our, in our town here. We just really felt like we wanted to open a community theater, uh, arts venue. And so it'll have like open mic nights and, uh, gaming and trainings and, um, just really want to make a place where people can come and have fun, especially for the college students. And um, so that's kind of a big goal of ours is to get that off the ground. Okay. And, um, I also want to keep writing and publishing and doing that whole world. I really want to pick up my game on speaking, um, more. I do about okay. one or two a year, but I'd love it if I was doing one or two a month. <laughs> yeah, right. um, Cause I enjoy, I just love inspirational speaking and helping people out and and all of that. So, um, oh. I guess that's kind of where I'd be is just, you know, doing, all of that, but okay. more regularly. Yeah.
0: Well, I definitely see that. was thinking today, getting ready for this call. If you could share to those that because of the last year and a half being so unpredictable with COVID and so many things, what would you say to the listener that's really discouraged about life? How could you encourage them to, To get up and move forward.
1: Knowing what God's heart is for me has always been a big part. And so that's where I would start. I would say that each day you you make a little goal for yourself and make sure they're yeah. obtainable. And as you've accomplished one, maybe you do another one that's a little more obtainable and you just keep growing. Uh, once again, it's back to that baby step thing. Each and every day is about taking a step forward. Uh, mm. I think this last year was really hard for everybody. Um, yeah. I'm very type A. And so you put me in a locked up room <laughs> and tell me I can't go anywhere or I can't do anything. So I spent that time, you know, uh, writing. So, you know, there's something that you can do. There's always something you can do. Um, but I think the key is just... Do something. That's, I think there needs to be, you know, just do it was Nike's thing. I think it's, yeah, just, do yeah. to, it's just do something it needs to be the next, maybe, slogan. You know, everything is possible, everything is obtainable. It's just, you know, doing something. I mean, you have to move towards something.
0: Uh, well, I have uh, enjoyed this time and I know the listeners have too. Jim, <laughs> I appreciate all of your, your heart. And your passion, I just say continue to grow, continue to invest in people because we all need it. And I, I just really thank you for, for this time and you sharing your story and what you're involved in. Once again, if they want the book, uh, teaching squirrels, they would go to what? They can either
1: website? my website is either uh, Kim or they can do it on Amazon. Just type in Teaching Squirrels Mendoza and it'll pop up.
0: Ah, well, I hope they do that today.
1: I want to thank you so much um, just for yeah. inviting me on here and letting me be a part of your podcast. And I had some great times working with you years ago and I, I love Long your wife. Ago. And so <laughs> <Long time laughs> I mean, ago. it was. You know, you were one of those encouraging voices in my head a long time ago. So Mm. each one of those counts. Right. So thank you Mm. as well.
0: Well, I appreciate you. And I hope we can talk again real soon. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You know, so much was shared here. I know you want to rehear it and then share it with those that you know. Remember, it's about the small steps. What step or steps can you take in the next 30 days? This is the My New Norm podcast, a podcast about helping you foster change. Until the next episode, I am still your host, Barry Scott Young.